0: The Inconquerable, number 324, October 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This is a, a special edition of our comic book club. We This time, though, rather than talking about one specific comic, we're going to talk about lots of comics. There's a service uh, that's made available by Marvel Comics called Marvel Unlimited. It's a pretty good deal. They have a $10 a month plan, but they've also got a $69 a year plan, and you get to l- read as much as you like from a catalog of uh, they they say more than 17,000 at this point, Marvel Comics. I've been a subscriber for a few years now because I realize that you can read like a very small number of comics, like 20 comics, and it pays for itself if you buy by the year. Uh, So what we thought we would do, and I was inspired a little bit by a conversation I had with my co-host from Upgrade, Mike Hurley, uh, who was wondering about getting into comics. We've also heard this from some other people. Like, if I got Marvel Unlimited, what uh, what should I read? Because there's 17,000 comics to choose from. So I've assembled a panel of comic book readers who are going to help me in draft form to suggest things that you could read on Marvel Unlimited, or if you'd prefer to buy or go back and get back issues, you could do that too. But I think Marvel Unlimited is not brought to you by Marvel Unlimited. I do think it's a pretty good deal if you think you're going to read more than 20 comics in a year. Anyway, joining me, and I'm going to introduce them in the order in which they're going to pick as uh, randomly selected by Random.org. First, Lisa Schmeiser. Hi. (laughs)
1: Hi. How are you? I was not expecting to go first. You win
0: by a long (laughs) shot. Random.org likes you and wants you to pick first. So get ready for that.
1: All right. All right. I will. Picking second
0: will
2: be Monty Ashley. Hi, Monty. Hi, Jason. Random.org likes you okay. <laughs> well, thanks, Random.org. You're all right, too. Picking third
0: is Chip Sutter. Hi, Chip. Oh, thank God. I'm not the last one. Well, I'm always last, but picking between uh, Chip and me is Moises i Hi, Moises. Excelsior, true believer.
2: I hope uh-huh. you've paid your subscription fees. That's right. <laughs> Keep a credit card on file. <laughs> <laughs> Should we be facing front? I've never face front true believers you should be facing front that's the only only way to face (laughs) luckily that's where my face always is
0: all right, so with the with the idea being that we're essentially building a little bit of a comic book reading list, so people have things that they can try, especially if they sign up for Marvel Unlimited. Even if you put down ten bucks for one month, you could give it a go, and they often have sales. So uh, that's the premise here. Before we get started with the picks, I thought we would we should at least talk about the service. When this started, it was all in a web browser on computers, and it used Flash. And the big moment of change for them was that they ended up uh, building a mobile version that was viewable on tablets, especially. Uh, Originally, it was very uh, weird and it was sort of like a web-based view inside of an app and wasn't very good. It's it's better now, although I would never call it best in class by a a long shot. It's sort of, I was saying before we got started, it's sort of now it's gone from being uh, sort of uh, survivable and... And all of that to being kind of okay, but I, I wouldn't say that it's it's state of the art in any way in terms of uh in terms of its uh its app interface on an iPad. Let's say
3: no, it, it's it's a work in progress. You could, in fact, say that the product itself is a draft.
0: Ooh, Ooh. interesting. I I would say that it the app has gotten progressively better over time but still i'm not sure i would say it was good i I think it just it does keep improving it isn't abandoned every (laughs) time they do an update there seems to be something that they tick off that is one of the things they needed to do but
2: it's still got a ways to go i think well to be clear the content inside the app is great and that kind of elevates the bad app it's wrapped in.
1: I'm a, I'm an off and on subscriber to Marvel Unlimited, and one of the reasons it's off and on is because I have a difficult time with the experience since it is so radically different from reading a comic that you're holding in your hands. Uh, and I can't organize things the way I want to. That's one of my major frustrations mm-hmm. with with this is I can't is I can't group issues by by I can't group them by by crossover, or special event, or resort them by author or resort them chronologically the way I would like to. Um, yes, and that and that bugs me. I should be able to. I should be able to put stuff in a library and then filter it any one of a number of ways and, and put it together that way. And I can't do that, and that drives me bananas. So
3: I'm very new to Marvel Unlimited. I'm a I'm a diehard comicsology uh, fan, and I read, and it and it is such a smooth, polished product. And then yeah. jumping into Unlimited, you try to search for creators, and some of the creators aren't listed. Some of the books pages are out of order. Um, they do their best to try to uh, sort storylines that ran in between different books. Uh, But it doesn't always work. And like you Uh said, Lisa, you can't sort it yourself for your own satisfaction. So um, I keep reminding myself as I use this, as in the immortal words of Plucky Duck, you know, but don't complain, it's free. It's not it's not free. But every individual comic that you read, it is free. uh, Once you once you subscribe. So yeah, trade-offs.
0: And the metadata is better also better than it used to be. But again, yeah. not I would say not good, but better than it used to be. You can find more things. You the, it used to be that a lot of the covers didn't show up at all or they were the
4: wrong covers. They're mostly the right covers now. It's you, now it now you you s- mm-hmm. still got things where where the publication date isn't accurate at all. Yes, it's not even true. a matter of it being a little bit off but it'll be you know issue 300 of x-force from 1978 or something um w- one of my persistent feature requests that i've wanted so so badly tying into what lisa was saying is back in the days of of itunes and the the itunes music store low those hallowed days many years ago uh there were there were these custom playlists that you could just make available on the iTunes store and it would be hey it's so and so's mix of all these songs that you can pay money for oh wow that's great i would love to be able to uh, you know user create reading orders for different things whether it's events for my own purposes yes. whether it's yeah. okay you want to you know i i i i want i want better metadata so that i can use it better so that they can use it better it's it, 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 it there is so much potential still that that needs to be unlocked out of this thing Uh, and the the big one of the big hang-ups that i have as somebody who doesn't travel a whole whole ton like i'm not getting on a plane for three hours on a regular basis but i know that people do and that's one of the reasons that people like having access to all this stuff and if you don't have internet access is the upper limit still six or is it 12 it's 12 it's 12 okay so so at the very least you can put 12 issues of whatever on your device and have them with you offline but you have to make all of those decisions right away, and that's what you're stuck with, pretty much. Uh, and you have to check them out so that you can check something else back in. And it's just it that that's insanely frustrating to me because it, it feels like a layer of DRM that is not actually protecting against anything. Um, as easy as it is and has been for a long time for people to steal stuff.
1: I just don't feel like they take advantage of the medium, the advantage that you have with digital com- digital comics over the print version is that with digital comics, you can in theory, I, I like the zooming in and out of panels, like for people who are really into the art of the comic, that's fantastic. Cause you get to see it. Um, that said, as somebody who read Scott McLeod at a for- formative age, <laughs> the layout of panels on a page are often a really important storytelling element. And so when you do the comic zoom in and zoom out, it's kind of challenging to balance the storytelling elements. And I feel that with digital comics, you really have to find a way to, um, embrace the medium and there's no way to do like it drives me crazy that in the older comics when they when they cross-reference um stuff that happened in other issues you can't automatically click and have it come up
0: oh
4: yeah yeah
1: i would love to be able to hyperlink or drill down in in comics like that there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do that
4: see issue 23 for more on dr druid or something
1: right yeah or, or, you know, for example, I'm thinking about the annuals or like, as, as established in, in, in New Mutants number five, Ed, and then they should be able to click to that panel in New Mutants number five and have that person zoom in and out. There's no reason why you can't be able to do hyperlinking or have a pop up window or something that lets you layer the information. Um, otherwise, on, honestly, like, what well, if I'm reading a pile of trade paperbacks and say it's the New Mutants classics, which are, which are now out in, in trade, if, if there is a note like that in, in, in trade number four, I can go and reach over and grab issue number two, flip back and find it. Like, it's ridiculous that I can do that with a bunch of books and I cannot do that with a digital archive. <laughs>
0: I think that's their. At this point, I think that's their number one. Their number one problem. I mean,
1: I I realize that there's a huge archive.
0: Oh yeah, it's it's huge. But the idea that they could they could take this metadata and they could interlink it, and that I mean, on the web you can find reading whole reading lists for for characters and comics where you can follow them through, and it's all in continuity, and you can go for events, and all of these things have been done. And then on the uh, the the Marvel Unlimited app. It's very limited what they offer. Nobody else can offer it. You can't build your own, and that that's the. I, I mean, I think that's obviously the next step because some of this stuff works by far the best uh, when it's uh, when it's done like that. It, when when it's all interleaved together. Let's start the draft, Lisa. What's uh what's your first choice of something that people should read?
1: So my first choice is um actually tied into Squirrel Girl. The uh, I've really enjoyed the revival of the the, the actually the successful launch of the solo book under um, Ryan uh, under Ryan North and Erica Henderson. It's a great book on a lot of levels. It's family friendly enough where I can read it to little kids, and then I can go back and reread it at night and chuckle over the notes at the bottom. And I got curious about the back history and used the search engine and delved in. And I want to direct people's attention to New Avengers number fifteen where they attempt to break out the sexy squirrel girl (laughs) as the nanny for Luke Cage and Jessica Jones. (laughs) And everything about this issue, from her using an army of squirrels to fight Wolverine, to dealing with robot Nazis, to also taking care of a child at the same time, is unintentionally hilarious, and it is so of a period. Like, it just screams early oddies, and it's very of a period- and it's hilarious it's by Brian Michael Bendis that's
4: the same issue where it's it's heavily i would say not heavily implied but triple underlined and highlighted that Wolverine and Squirrel Girl um um you know have a past have a past that's the term that's the term that's the family friendly yeah. term yeah um, I I kind of lo- I kind of love that. Yeah, there's it's
1: what I really enjoy is how Squirrel Girl has all of these connections with the the alpha figures of the Marvel universe, and it's taken this long. But this Doreen Green has literally nothing to do with Ryan North's conception of her, and as it and so the reason I recommended it first is if you are a fan of the Ryan North Squirrel Girl and you've been mainlining that for a while, as as we have been around my house, um, going back and reading this is really hilarious, and it also um provides a handy time capsule of exactly how lunatic some of Marvel's stuff was in the early audience as well, where you're like, Oh, that's what they're doing now, huh? And um, I went to a wormhole with the fear itself uh, event that they did. But anyway, this is a, a pretty funny standalone issue from a Oh, my God, what did they do? at Squirrel girl thing. And it's also if you've been watching Marvel TV, it's interesting to see how they've how they flesh out Jessica Jones and Luke Cage as a pair of functioning parents there too. And um, I think that Relationship is kind of fascinating to look at in light of how they've relaunched the Jessica Jones book recently as well. Mm. So New Avengers fifteen, you don't even have to know anything about like New Avengers one through fourteen. This this works fine as a standalone as well. But it's a it's a funny little um, snapshot of of the history that was, which uh, gets even funnier if you are currently steeped in the Marvel that is right now.
2: Okay, Monty, you're up. Mm-hmm. All right, I thought I was going to get sniped, but I did not. I am picking the current the unbeatable squirrel girl run in fact i'm like, <laughs> in fact i'm going to pick yes. both of the unbeatable <laughs> squirrel girl runs because in 2015 there was the sh- title the unbeatable squirrel girl it ran for 8 issues and then marvel had a relaunch of everything all new all different and a new unbeatable squirrel girl Started up exactly the same, still written by Ryan Norris, still drawn by Erica Henderson, still delightful. It it is super fun in every panel. Doreen is a great character. And as it says in the uh, title, she's unbeatable. She's taken down down Galactus. She's taken down Iron Man. She's taken down all of the Avengers. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: She's great. Galactus, that, the Galactus one is pretty special. How that, <laughs> that how that story is told, <laughs> yeah. but uh, they all they they come to an understanding. Well, that's the thing. She's not a fight first superhero. She always tries to reason with them. I, I
1: love her tangling with Doctor Doom. Oh. Yeah,
2: so that's my pick. It's a current series. No, it's just such a great series. So there's not much of it there, but there's more you just stick around more issues come up every time
0: that's right i do love that they normally try to identify which volume of a comic that's got multiple numbers by the year and of course unbeatable squirrel girl has two number ones in the same year and howard the duck has the exact same problem all of the animal superheroes all of them yeah there's 2015 and then there's 2015 forward version but they're both there yeah they are both great yeah. <laughs> chip what's your pick first pick
3: well my first pick is not going to surprise anyone because this is a comic book that has moved me to song in the past. I am going to reach into the 80s and pull out Thor issues 337 to 382, uh the famous run of Thor written by Walter Simonson that um I this is this is the thing that uh really turned me into a comics fan again after the your traditional read comics when you're a kid stop reading comics one of your nerdy friends in junior high school says hey i still read comics and you start puttering around in comic book shops and suddenly you find something that you hit uh this is a really really long run it's an epic story of um And it's the first time I really think that. um, And Moisés, you've got more. You've got more detailed history on comics. You may beat me. You may correct me on this, but I think that this is the first time that Thor really broke away from uh, the Jack Kirby mold. Uh, to turn into this fusion of homage to the real classic Norse myths mashed up with uh, Marvel super science. Uh, You get the introduction of Beta Ray Bill in the first storyline. You get the elimination of the Don Blake alter ego. And you immediately get a 12 to 15 issue arc that is Ragnarok, The Fall of the Gods And then you keep on going right up until the end of this multi year run with, uh, Thor fighting and dying against the Midgard serpent, or does he? Um, it's, it, it is remarkable. It is epic. It's a little awkward reading in the 21st century because this is at a sort of a liminal time in Marvel comics when the, uh, when the storytelling was becoming super ambitious and yet characters were constantly monologuing. They were constantly describing what they were going to do. Mm -hmm. This was before they'd moved all this stuff to thought bubbles (laughs) and well before caption caption
2: narration. (laughs) He's the character who most narrates everything he does.
3: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, but this, this time, big time. Um, but it is, it, it, if you're into epic long form, uh, storytelling, um, this is, this is, I think, I don't know that Marvel ever did it any better uh, Walter Simonson is a great writer, and this is tailor made for Marvel Unlimited because it, you know, it the whole run is there, and you you you've already paid for it. This is this is uh, this is fifty odd comics. You're going to make that back just off the subscription in no time.
4: I, I feel I feel like this is where where I do my Iron Chef style uh, uh interjection. Yes, uh, I yes I. Do guess so. I, I I I could not agree more with uh with uh with Chipson's uh, uh <laughs> assertions about Walter Simonson's uh, Thor run. It's it's really still held up as one of the great classic runs and it's from an era where you would get a creative team whether a team of a writer and an artist or a writer artist in the case of Walt where they did an uninterrupted 5 years of something with no breaks, with no fill-ins, with no late issues and just got the work done. And he, th- I mean, this run—you you mentioned the introduction of Beta Ray Bill—incredibly controversial at the time, and there was no Twitter, there were no blogs, there were no forums. There this was, the was no character that really picked up the hammer, mm-hmm. exactly, and th- there was nowhere for fandom to go, explode in outrage, file lawsuits, put in a Change.org petition, any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> Everybody hated Beta Ray Bill, and then. A couple months later, everybody loved Beta Ray Bill, and he was awesome, and he was great, and why isn't there a t-shirt of this, and oh my god, he's the greatest thing ever. Why isn't he in the comic book all the time? Well, let's move on. That's a lot of Thor and a lot of Beta Ray Bill. I'm not surprised, Chip, by the way.
0: I'm not even a little bit surprised. (laughs) I've got to be me.
4: Moises, what would you like to choose? Now, when we started, I asked you what the ground rules are for this, and I I, I want to tempt fate because, A, I assume that nobody else selected something that would be covered in this um so my pick is the entire history of marvel crossover events Okay. Are those on Marvel Unlimited? The vast majority of them are, and Marvel Unlimited is the reason that I was able to catch up on a bunch of them when, on aforementioned comics podcast, my co-host and I said, hey, let's do a two-episode thing and just cover all the crossovers from both companies. Just hit the high points. And then, like, 13 installments later, uh, we got all the way through all of them because Marvel Unlimited allowed us to reread pretty much all of them, even these super obscure ones that have never been collected in trade or have been out of print in trade for over a decade. Um, one of my favorites among them, uh, if I were to pick out one, is from the period of Marvel bankruptcy uh, called Maximum Security, written by Kurt Busiek, that takes the the idea that all of the different uh, galactic empires and so on that Earth has uh, has run afoul of uh, have have had full well enough Of all of Earth's superheroes using the galaxy as their as their battleground and have decided to isolate Earth, set up a barrier so that nobody can get off planet and dump all of their criminals onto Earth and turn Earth into the galaxy's uh, penal colony. Uh, Ronan the Accuser's in it. A bunch of characters that people know a lot better now are, are in there. Uh, but you can, you can read this. It's very short. Um, it's on Marvel Unlimited and it's one of my favorite Marvel crossover events now that I actually know that it existed. Um, it, it's a great way to, to, to dip into a crossover event that somebody has said, oh, well, this is kind of important or this is, you know, what to really understand what's going on with Spider-Man. You need to go back to, Acts of Vengeance. Um, Some of these crossover events have not been, again, you know, going back to previous comments, not reprinted uh, regularly, not kept in print reliably. And the beautiful hardcover editions of them, you can't find them for less than $400. Um, So the, the thing for me that made Marvel Unlimited incredibly valuable was that I didn't have to fork over cash to buy the trade paperbacks of these things that I may or may not have liked and kind of wanted to read mostly for historical or relative appreciation. Um, but that includes the good stuff too. You know, you've got the original Secret Wars. You've got... Contest of Champions, um, which I consider a crossover, even though it didn't operate the way that modern crossover events do where it involves 12 different comics. Um, but it, it does in fact go all the way back to the first real Marvel crossover event, which was the the Avengers defenders war. Um, the Avengers and Defenders involved don't look much like the Avengers or Defenders that anybody's familiar with from Netflix, uh, but that doesn't that doesn't uh, that doesn't in any way decrease the value of it as a as a historical note uh, that would that would curse us for decades to come.
0: So much of Marvel's uh, events are they're you know almost impossible to cover because they really do want you to buy fifty different comics or whatever. And I have yeah. I have participated in um several of these marvel crossover events now with <laughs> with um with unlimited again delayed 8 months or whatever how, however long they they do their time delay and it's kind of great when you get the to just sort of flick through from issue to issue of these big events and if a particular issue doesn't do it for you you just move on and you don't feel like you got ripped off and paid $4 for some tie-in comic that was no
4: good you just move to the next one now go read Power Pack number 10.
1: Yes!
4: <laughs> I, I remember yes. there was a, there was a, a, and the, the unfortunate thing though is there are some of those tie-in issues. Like there were, there were issues of ROM, Space Night, yeah. comic near and dear to Jason's heart, uh, a few others that Marvel no longer holds the publishing or republishing rights for. So technically there are some of these crossover events that you, even if, Marvel wanted to. They wouldn't be able to put the digital version of of these issues on there. But like all crossover events, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, You know, I, I remember catching up on a bunch of stuff from Infinity and reading an issue of Thunderbolts that had Infinity splayed all over the cover. But it had the the only way in which it actually interacted with the crossover event that it was ostensibly a tie into was the Thunderbolts team was off doing something in a van in New York and oh there's some crap happening in the sky I don't know what that is let's keep going guys and it just, it didn't touch tie it in. at all that's yeah, a tie in that, no that's a uh, but uh, but yeah I if I, if I were to throw three uh, random obscure crossover events uh, worth checking out max, maximum security is definitely one. Acts of Vengeance is another where they take they take the rogues galleries of different Marvel superheroes. They all get together. They say, "Wait a minute, let's get this straight. Why are we all fighting the same good guys every time? Why don't we uh, rotate the wheel a little bit and cause some real havoc uh, for for the good guys?" And it, it plays out great. It's fun. It was it was a much needed shakeup. Um, the other uh, the other one that that I would throw out there is uh, is I think Avengers versus X Men reads way better. Uh, as a binge than it did individually in issues yep, where that's how I did it and it was, yeah, month yeah. month to month it, it played out like an episode of Dragon Ball Z, uh, where it took 20 minutes to advance a tenth of a second in actual event time. Uh, and it, 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 it reads way better, uh, collected. So that, that's a, a more recent, not remotely as obscure. Uh, a pick. So hopefully, I've broken all of the rules and uh, and now we've shattered reality, and Jason has to put it back together.
2: Yep. You did snipe what was going to be my round two pick of Secret Wars.
0: <laughs> I'm going to give Moises yes. Marvel crossover events, including Maximum Security Axe Avengers and AVX. If you really want to pick Secret Wars, you can. Um, we're we're uh, gonna finish up the first round with my pick. I have like fifteen things here that I could pick, but I'm gonna start with something rather than take one. Some of the more obvious ones. I'm gonna go a little less obvious. I'm gonna recommend people out there check out 1602, which is an uh. eight issue miniseries Ooh. written yes, by Neil that's Gaiman. Such a yes, great series that Neil Gaiman. And uh, it is a beautiful series. I liked it a lot. The idea is basically what if the Marvel superheroes existed in the year 1602 instead of uh, 2002, which was when this was written and uh it's uh, fascinating they're all it's just alternate takes on characters that you will be familiar with and they uh they behave like you'd expect except sometimes they don't and uh it's a very interesting story with i, I would say a satisfying conclusion and uh 8 issues uh, very clever there are several sequels you don't need to read them this is this this is the the official core of it this is the this is the stuff and it was meant to sort of stand alone and uh i yeah i highly recommend it it was done basically for i think neil gaiman donated all of uh all of his uh proceeds to uh was it a charity or to a legal defense
3: fund or something like that? But It was part of the way that he got control of the character Angela
2: back from uh, Todd McFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> For the full story on that... It, it would take 10 million hours.
0: Yeah, go somewhere else and don't. But anyway, the result we got was an eight-issue miniseries. That's pretty good. It's all on Marvel Unlimited, 1602, so try it out. That's my pick. Hey, nani nani, true believer. Mm, indeed. P- wait until you meet Peter Parkwall <laughs> and see what he's got going on.
1: I just really like Virginia Dare in that series. Uh, okay, second round.
0: We'll try to pick up the pace a little bit, or we'll be here all night. <laughs> Lisa, what do you have?
1: Uh, my second pick is... Um, linked to the fact that i never really read a whole lot of deadpool the movie came out this year and i still haven't watched the movie (laughs) although it's on my dvr and i'm honestly just waiting for a night where i can sit down with some popcorn and do it but i thought well one of the reasons i took such pleasure in watching the avengers is because when i saw that movie i could go through and go okay they got that from ultimate avengers they got that from ultimate avengers oh and um so I'm kind of curious. I kind of don't want to watch Deadpool until I understand what they've lifted from the comics, if anything, and, and what is entirely the invention of the screenwriters. And in my foray through Deadpool, I have really been enjoying the one year run of Deadpool Merc with a Mouth. It's by Victor Gishler and Bong, Bong Moises, you can correct me on the pronunciation. It's Bong Dazo or Dazo who does the pencils.
4: I. That's a great question that I don't have an answer to.
1: Anyway, long story short, Deadpool has to go get a bioweapon that turns out to be his own zombified head from an alternate dimension. And in doing so, he also manages to double-cross both Hydra and AIM. And it's lunatic. It's a lunatic series. And the thing I like about it is not only is the story super... um, not only is the story rollicking, it's basically a caper. Uh, The covers on the series are worth looking at too, because all of them are Deadpool and zombie takes on classic TV or cinema or album imagery, including silence of the lambs and um, the graduate and um, pretty woman and jaws. And it's just delightful. Um, I love a comic that doesn't take itself too seriously, and this one certainly doesn't. And for people who are like, well, I want to know about more about Deadpool, but I don't want to commit entirely. Like, this is a good way to start, I have found. Um, I don't think any of this will show up in the movie, and now I kind of don't care.
0: All right. <laughs> Deadpool.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Merc with a Mouth. Deadpool colon Merc with a Mouth. There's there's like five different Deadpool series on there.
4: On the list. Monty. Monty, if, if you needed a formal retraction, I, 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 I modify my pick to all crossover events except for Secret Wars because it really <laughs> does deserve its own spot.
2: Great. Then my pick is Secret Wars. <gasps> I want what? to be clear. Oh, what? What? <laughs> Obviously, the one from 1984, not the recent one. Okay. The recent one's awesome. That's I like fine, the recent one. But is it historically important the way... No. A personification of a universe (laughs) taking a bunch of villains and a bunch of heroes, plopping them on a planet and saying, okay, now fight for 12 issues was. Of course not. In 1984, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. Mm -hmm. So it was the most awesome thing in the world for all the heroes and all the villains to be just sort of grouped together and given no more motivation than, okay, fight. And there was some twist, like, well, that hero, he turns out to be kind of bad. That villain, he turns out to be sort of good. It gets really interesting, I think, towards the end. This is, in fact, where Spider-Man's ridiculous black suit that turns into Venom comes from. Yep. Don't diss the black suit. I'm saying this. Su- Too late. <laughs> the origin of the suit is silly.
0: That's true. He, yeah, it,
2: it, it is It, it comes is from silly. a dispenser, yes. And,
0: and the way the way they did The Secret Wars is they, they uh, all the heroes disappear from their books in one month, and then the next month they all return and say wow something that was incredible what happened there
1: that sure was a secret war
0: and we had to watch it for for a a year and one of the big ones was boy when you find out how spider-man got that costume that's going to be something and it's like well he went
2: into a cave and there was a costume yeah it's actually less silly in the movie where some alien goop just drips on him yeah
3: i'd forgotten that aspect of it because one of the big
2: ones was uh the makeup of the fantastic four yeah. And that yeah. was huge. Uh, it ends up with a uh, She-Hulk replacing mm-hmm. the thing. Yep. Yeah. It was big news at the time, and I still think it's a lot of fun to just go to a simpler time in storytelling where you can have lots of fights per issue instead of an issue about where the people talk about fighting and then an issue where they start to fight and then an issue where they continue fighting. Uh I do not recommend Secret Wars two no. where the beyonder comes to earth and is taught how to pee by Spider-Man.
4: Poop. He see- He's taught how to poop. I, I'm telling you. <laughs> My <I'm> mistake. <laughs> it's in the Spider-Man tie-in issue, <laughs> and I'm sorry that I know that so precisely. But That's it's,
1: entertainment. Yeah.
2: If you follow Chip's recommendation to read Thor, you will see some of the Beyonder right next to the scenes where Thor turns into a frog.
4: Hmm. Frog Thor. It's the same issue. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the original Secret Wars, uh, I, I love how everybody seemed to like antagonistically call Magneto Maggie. <laughs> and there's some weird <laughs> Dr. Doom stuff in there, too. There, there's there's always some weird Dr. Doom stuff. I, yeah. You know. D-
2: uh, Doom is one of the only ones who says, this is ridiculous. How can we fight back against this situation instead of just, like, there's street-level goons there who are like, uh, what do I do? I'm a villain. I fight heroes. Well, there's most of the Avengers and the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. Let's go get them, boys. Let's get them. Mm-hmm. While Galactus is standing around rolling his enormous eyes. Chip, your turn. Um... I'm going to pick
3: uh I'm gonna pick next wave agents of hate.
4: Ooh. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Four <laughs> skull and crossbone symbols in a row. That's how I feel right now.
3: Next wave <sighs> is only twelve issues long. I could have gone I, I it could have gone for it could have gone for years as far as I'm concerned, but maybe it could have only have lasted this long. It's Warren Ellis and Stuart Emmanuel. Uh, taking the absolute piss out of the Marvel Universe and putting together a group of retread heroes and has-been heroes, including the former uh, Captain Marvel from the Avengers, Monica Rambeau, and Machine Man, who has a drinking drinking problem. Mm -hmm. And um, a guy who they just call the Captain because his real name is Captain Censored, Um, and characters like that, (laughs) and they are on the run from a truly demented send-up of S.H.I.E.L.D. called Hate, and their lunatic leader, Colonel Dirk Anger, (laughs) not Nick Fury, Dirk Anger, and the first storyline involves the, the, uh, hideous threat of the great Kirby dragon Fin Fang Foom threatening to put um, characters in his pants and it just descends (laughs) from there. This is an insane, beautiful 12 issue series. Oh no,
1: I have to read this. It has pants wearing dragons. Mm -hmm. It has
3: pants wearing dragons.
4: (laughs) it's, it's, It's perennially noted by creators as a favorite book of theirs that they wish they could bring back and I bet there are a dozen people who write for Marvel right now who would kill to write a new next wave book but only if Pope Warren passed and and handed over the reins to somebody mm-hmm. else it it is so so beloved among creators specifically oh.
3: there are some weird moments in the wider Marvel universe where it almost seems seems like this intersects with the with the MU but just just pick it up and read it and ignore the rest of the Marvel Universe. Ignore everything else in Marvel Unlimited. Just read these 12 issues as a whole and y-
4: you will giggle. Yeah, you I, don't have to know who any of the characters are at all. There's there's no height, no height requirement for that <laughs> roller coaster. Oh, and, and, but you better not like Broccoli. No.
0: Okay, good. I hate it. Moises, what's your second pick? You used your pick, first pick to pick you know hundreds of comics across many different events, but not Secret <laughs> I, Wars. I l-
4: I asked you what the rules were for a reason so that I mm-hmm. could bend break the rules them? of time and space. Uh, I'm going to go much more simply. You can, you can read the entirety of Christopher Priest's five-year run on Black Panther, which began in 1998 on Marvel Unlimited, and it is some of the best superhero comics uh, written in the last 20 years, if you ask me. Uh, well, I'm Chris- striking that one off my list. <laughs> <laughs> Victory is mine. Uh, but you've, you've got uh, you've got Everett K. Ross, uh, who popped up in Captain America Civil War, the movie, he's in there. Uh, of course, T'Challa, the Black Panther's in there. Lots of Wakandan intrigue is in there. Um, it, it is, uh, it is a book that was born out of Marvel Knights, which is this four title, uh, small group that was handed to a couple of, a couple of guys named Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, who I hear still do comic books in some form or another these days. Uh, and, and this was, this was one of those four characters that launched that imprint that really transformed Marvel, In the late 90s, just on the verge of the Marvel bankruptcy. Um, And the spirit of the Marvel Knights characters is, okay. leave these in our box and leave us alone and don't tie us into your events and don't make us do this and don't make us do that. Um, and I, I love the 12-issue Inhumans miniseries that was part of that. I, I very much enjoyed the run of Daredevil that started with Kevin Smith and transitioned over to uh, David Mack and various other folks after that point. Um, but for me, the, the real here's a great way to dig into this character that a lot of people are interested in now that he's in movies is this really definitive run of Black Panther. Uh, Reginald Hudlin had a great run that came after this one. It was very good. But really, when it comes down to it, if there is a definitive run on the character of Black Panther, it is this one, bar none. All right. I'm adding that to my list. That's great. Okay. um,
0: I'm going to close out round two with... uh, I I love how we can pick single issues or just dozens of issues, and it's all good. It's all part of
2: the whole. (laughs) Are you setting up for some really Mm -hmm. odd selection? (laughs) Only a little bit. The 1970s. The odd-numbered issues.
0: <laughs> I'm going to choose a run. And not only am I going to choose a run by a writer and an artist, I'm going to choose the longest continuous run by a writer oh. and an artist in comics, which I'm is you. Ultimate Spider-Man, mm-hmm. which began in the year 2000. Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley. Which issue should you read? Well, start with issue one. And then you Mm -hmm. can jump off when Bagley leaves the book in issue 111, but uh, read all of them. And then you could keep going if you like, because uh, then Stuart Imminent comes in and uh, is pretty great, too. But I love Ultimate Spider-Man. I love Bendis retelling using modern storytelling techniques. A lot of the classic stories of Spider-Man. Yes, modern storytelling techniques, Monty, (laughs) means that what took one issue for Steve Ditko and Stan Lee takes, like, 12 issues for for Bendis and Bagley Mm -hmm.
2: but he's retelling so much of Spider-Man that sometimes something that let's say bogged down Spider-Man for years and years some sort of saga can be retold tighter and well it's true it's true,
0: with some very interesting variations. I think that the explanation for Spider-Man's origin and how it's sort of tied up in Norman Osborn's quest uh, to build a super soldier serum, and it leads to Norman Osborn becoming a very different and far more scary Green Goblin, uh, is all part of this, too. It is, yeah, it's my favorite. Spider-Man's, Yeah, obviously, Spider-Man's my favorite uh, superhero, but Ultimate Spider-Man is a wonderful retelling and modernizing of the character while never forgetting sort of what what's at the core of, of Spider-Man. The art is beautiful. The supporting cast is great. If if Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Joss Whedon said, was sort of like, what if we did a TV show uh, of Spider-Man except, you know, it, we'll, we'll, we'll do a gender flip and, you know, it'll be horror tropes instead of superhero tropes. But he said uh, it was a huge, Spider-Man was a huge inspiration when he did Buffy. Well, Ultimate Spider-Man is kind of like Buffy taken back the other way. There is a whole supporting cast around him. It's not just him as a loner. Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy and Aunt May and 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 other characters, you know, J Jonah Jameson are much more supporting characters than they were in so much of the original Spider-Man. So I love it; it's great. That's round two.
1: There's more, Lisa. What what get us started with round three? So um, I'm I'm also picking a run. <laughs> So I've, I've talked about this series. This is really the series that is the closest to my heart because it's the one that I read through high school and identified with really strongly. And Um, So my pick is the New Mutants run that went from 1983. um, Okay, cross that one off. I want to warn the the listeners, however, that um, the numbering gets really flippin' wonky right around um, number 40. So my recommendation is to just uh, read 1 through 40, binge on it, give yourself a little bit of space, and then enjoy hopping and skipping from issue 46 to issue 60 to issue 71. And then jump ahead to the last for for um, issues that they have in this run, which are done by Rob Liefeld.
2: <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just instinctive reaction.
1: Because um, truly, it's a dis- it's a it's a distinctive look, um, and especially if you go back and you're looking at how the, how things were done in the beginning, and how um, the 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 um, McLeod and the the Bush the the Sienkiewicz stuff looks, and then you go to um, pouches, pouches and ponytails, all pouches and ponytails, <laughs> but. Um, I highly recommend uh, running through issues one through 40. What I find really exciting about this book is uh, Chris Claremont sat down and basically said, all right, we have a bunch of X-Men who have, who have aged into adulthood. Let's see what it's like to have a bunch of teenagers who are mutants in the 1980s instead of the 1960s. How is their world different because they have a generation ahead of them? How do they deal with having these footsteps to fill? And how, how do you grow up as a second generation mutant? And, um, I think the reason that that resonates with me so strongly is as somebody who's grown up in the cultural shadows of the baby boomers, it's kind of like having the cultural conversation that you see in, po- in, in, in the media when they talk about the baby boomers, Generation X, millennials. Um, it's fun seeing that theme reflected and amplified a bit in the comics. It's interesting watching them try to develop mutants who can be compelling with powers that are cool, but not duplicating the already existing powers of other mutants and um it's fun watching the the it's fun watching the themes of identity how some of these guys grow deeper into who they're meant to be and other people try on different identities and discard them um I love the twist that they do where Emma Frost starts teaching <laughs> and it's just it's a good time it's a lot of fun and um I also feel like it provides a really handy visual history of the way comics were drawn from about 1983 to 1989 so. You know, if you've got an afternoon or two, just flip on through and uh, then wonder why more of these characters haven't broken into the, the big leagues since.
0: Well, they're making a New Mutants movie, so we'll see what, how they do. But I had this on my list too, and it's funny, Lisa. I wrote down issues one through thirty something. Like in yeah. there is where I'm like, yeah, then you can stop if you need to. It <laughs> yeah. gets gets confusing. Then I had eighteen through thirty one.
2: D- just give me the Bill Kavich and then
0: uh,
1: yeah, you
2: were fine.
0: I, I didn't even bother putting it on my list. Just knew we were gonna we were gonna take it. So we'll yeah, I love that the, the whole concept of the New Mutants.
1: Yeah, I wish I didn't know it. why why don't more of these guys make it up to the big leagues as it were. I mean, they're powerful enough and they've been around for 30 years. You would think at some point, but um
0: Sunspot features fairly prominently in the uh the Avengers arc that led to um the New Secret Wars uh event. He's actually in there a lot mm-hmm. as sort of a all again all grown up, see, cuz they're not they're not kids anymore either. Everybody ages out of the out of the new mutants yeah. but uh he was he was in there and I think I think Sam yeah. Guthrie was in there too they're around
1: yeah they've because they've tried uh, they've tried a couple times like with making the new the, the the old new mutants they tried to make them the instructors for the new new mutants when they rebooted the uh, series in the early oddies and on the one hand I'm glad to see everybody grow up and on the other hand I'm like ah, you know you're still you know Scott Summers yeah. can sit a few out and have Sam take over it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt That'd be fine. <laughs> so but that's just my thing. These, like I said, this is my squad.
0: Okay, Monty, what's your uh, what's your what's your next one, Monty?
2: Uh, well, I have one from the last couple of years and one from the eighties. I am going to go back to the beginnings for this one. The comic book Tales to Astonish has been about a lot of different things. It was about the Hulk for a long time, uh, usually teamed not teamed up, but like back to back. Uh, there'd be a Hulk story and a Submariner story, or a Hulk story and a Giant Man story. And before that, it was Ant Man and the Wasp. But I'm going all the way back to the first, let's say, couple years of it, 1959 through 1961. That's uh, whoa, Tales to Adonis one through twenty-four. Wow, this is pre-Fantastic Four stuff, and every issue is about giant, ridiculous sci-fi monsters. Like just looking at these covers, you've got a. Uh, the Giant from Outer Space. Mumex, King of the Mummies. He's also a giant. Titano, the monster <laughs> that time forgot. Monstrom, the Dweller in the Black Swamp. Gorgilla. And here in uh, issue 13 is Groot, the monster from Planet X. And this is the same Groot we have now in Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Although here he talks, mostly saying, I am from Planet X. I will destroy you. Uh, If you look really carefully in the movie Guardians of the Galaxy during the uh, mugshot scene, you can see that Groot's origin planet is X. Uh And I'm thrilled that they kept this because Groot is actually older than anything else that they're currently using. He's older than the Fantastic Four. He's older than Fin Fang Foom. I guess just just like Captain America, right, would be older. in Well, all right, him, sure.
0: You know, sorry. (laughs) But then it's Groot. Groot is number two there.
2: I take it back. Fine. I'll go back to saying hilarious names. Okay. The creature from Krogar. <laughs> Romboo. Wait, the supermarket? Uh, K-R-O-G-A-R-R. Oh, okay. Not the supermarket. Got it. Krogar. <laughs> Every issue has like three or four stories. They usually end with a really sub-Twilight Zone twist. and They're all super, super fun. They do bring up my main complaint about Marvel Unlimited, which is I really wish they had the ads in these issues. Oh yeah, because I want somebody telling me how to learn kung fu and selling me live monkeys.
0: I had the X Men, um, the X Men DVD or, or CD ROM or whatever it was that had all the issues in PDF format, and they had all the ads in them, and the ads are yeah. so great. They're so great. I
2: have that. You know, those comics are just PDFs. Uh, you can uh, rip the DVD and then download all those onto your iPad. Yes. You don't really need to anymore, but you can. Yes, I've done that. So that's my pick. Uh, Tales, Tales to, to Astonish. Astonish. One is- through, let's say, 24 or so. And issue
0: 13 is the one with Groot, the, the monster. origin
2: of Groot. From Planet X. The monster from Planet X. He stomps around and tries to take over Earth, but it turns out he's made of wood, <gasps> which is not that great an idea. No. We know how to deal with wood, Groot. Come on.
3: Hmm. They they Yeah, Planet X, get it together. Okay, Chip, your uh, your your choice. One of the glorious things about Marvel Unlimited uh it happened with uh the departure of the Star Wars license from Dark Horse Comics. Yeah! We'll see what he picks. And yeah. Pick them all. I am not going to pick the entirety of the Star Wars franchise. <laughs> oh, <they're good. laughs> Only a monster would do that. Jackson
4: is mine. <laughs>
3: The other big comic that I was into, um, that got me back into comics was, uh, the Marvel Star Wars run in the 80s. Um, uh, back when there was no such thing as an expanded universe, there was no such thing as continuity. Um, and one of the, one, one of the things that you ought to use, um, Marvel Unlimited for because it's cheaper than buying these individual issues on comicsologies, is the runs of curiosities not, that are not necessarily worth spending a lot of money on the individual issues for, but you should just take a look at that. So my pick is the run of Star Wars comics that takes place after Return of the Jedi, issues 81 to 107, just for the sheer weirdness factor of Marvel sitting there going, okay, what do we do now? There's no Lucas story group. There's nothing. So, so they just try to figure out what they're going to do with, uh, with a Galaxy where the Emperor is just dead and there are remnants of the Imperials going at each other. And what they, they do, a couple of sort of interesting things is they bring in um, outside aliens – uh, this is well before the Yuzhan Vong in the uh, Expanded Universe. But they bring in an out- They bring in a couple of external threads. They also bring in an artist named Cynthia Martin, who is doing, at this point, art that you cannot see in any other Marvel comic anywhere. Very stylized. Very manga-influenced. So it's almost like a Na- Nagel painting come Nagle. to life. I don't know how to pronounce these things. Nagle, yeah. Anyway, her art is beautiful. And it is, it is just it, – it, I have never seen Star Wars look like that before or since. Um, so um, vaguely I'm saying issues 81 through 107 of Star Wars – but uh, specifically, the later end of the run, when they're about to wind it up, they know that they're going to be canceling it, and they just do whatever they want. The art looks great, and you've got alien, you've got Zeltron aliens named Maruk and Bob and Rahul, and it's just funny.
4: <laughs> Bob, you say that that whole Star Wars run prior to the new, like twenty thirteen, Marvel published uh, comics. It, every single one of those issues is on unlimited it's uh it is it is a very very deep rabbit hole with many branches that you can that you can follow along uh and uh space yeah, rabbit I, hole yeah without I, I wouldn't say that that it's something that i could justify as a a pick on its own but Similar On the, on a similar note of, of continuing things, the very last run of Star Wars Legacy comics they did, uh, co-written by Gabriel Hardman and Karina Bechko, who have an image book called The Invisible Republic right now, um, are, are set like 140 years after Return of the Jedi and uh, and are really good, fun Star Wars comics. Uh, I, I could not echo your sentiments uh, any better. And if you read issue one, you can see Darth Vader uh,
0: levitate a cup of coffee because that's a thing he does. <laughs> Clink. Clint, Link. it's Link. weird.
4: Uh Moises, what's your choice? Uh I have a creator centric one that that also uh bends the rules of time and space uh but in in a way that in a way way that won't be so uh all-encompassing as as crossovers and everything one of the things that that i run into that i think all of us run into is uh oh god i love the work of creator blank and oh yeah i've heard it's great oh yeah i've heard this is great uh one of them in particular who was taken from us at far too early in age is mark Gruenwald. uh and he he had this magnificent run on captain america um, that included something that, that some people would make fun of and something that I have read and don't find nearly as laugh inducing or, or mock worthy as other people do. And that is the infamous Cap Wolf run where <laughs> Captain America is turned into a werewolf. And, and I use it as an example in, in my pick being the Marvel work of Mark Gruenwald, because there's stuff like that that is something that you see in listicles as a joke all the time. Then there's stuff like his run on Squadron Supreme in the mid 80s that is really great. And in fact, bits and pieces of it, I think, are are somehow making it into this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, Mark Gruenwald was the creator editor at Marvel who was the living encyclopedia of all things Marvel. Mm -hmm. He had all of the issue numbers in the back of his head, could just rattle them off to you, easy, just without any effort. Um, you know, I'm sad that, that the the New Universe stuff that he wrote, that various other people wrote, aren't on Marvel Unlimited, because some of those books are really, really, really good. Um, but what there is of Mark Gruenwald's work, which is all in the main Marvel Universe, is all over Unlimited. Um, one, uh, one, one comic that was, that was a weird, formative influence on me that I got in this Sears Wishbook cardboard box of a bunch of Marvel comics was Captain America 395, written by Gruenwald, with Captain America and Thor on the cover, uh, covered in some sort of viscous material, and the caption on the on the cover says The House That Dripped Ellipsis dough, in Terrabang. <laughs> and <laughs> concepts that stupid and crazy on, on on the cover of a comic, Mark Gruenwald could make absolutely fascinating reading in the in the pages in between the two covers where what you get on that cover is, this looks ridiculous. And then on the inside, uh, you, you find, um, the red skull hooking up on a hot tub with Madame Hydra. Uh, and just all kinds of bizarre, super comic booky things. Um, so, so I, I would say the, the, the work of Mark Gruenwald, uh, as, as an example of a creator that, uh, people talk about people know and honor and respect. Um, but you, you can do one of those really crazy deep dives on all kinds of stuff that, that people don't write listicles about, you know, what was the best time that Captain America died? Sorry, spoiler alert. Mm Um, that that kind of thing uh really wonderful writer really wonderful human being uh much much beloved and much missed by a lot of people who knew him M- myself not included i just knew him by his work
3: well once more moises has a condo in my head and i think i and i think we we're, we're 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 time sharing here because he sniped me again uh um, nice. uh this uh, but i will call out uh the my pick would have been captain america issues 332 to 350 which was the Captain America No More storyline, uh, where he, where the government tries to rein Steve Rogers in, and Steve quits, and an uh, almost alt-rightish uh, uh, good old boy from the South uh, takes over as Captain America. Uh, Steve Rogers takes takes on a new identity as the captain, so he can keep on doing his thing and. Um, clarity ensues and it culminates in the rebirth after a lot of years of the red skull so and that that i think is mark Grunwald at his best if you omit uh squadron supreme
0: all right uh i'm gonna go in i'm gonna get on the star wars train too chip hover train of
2: some sort i assume
0: it's a space train it's a star train i am going to recommend uh from the uh, you know, Marvel and Disney and uh, Lucasfilm, all part of the same big happy family, the return of Star Wars comics to Marvel. I'm going to recommend Karen Gillan's Darth Vader series, which I like a lot um, and has in it the most evil droids you will ever ever meet. Murder
3: droids!
0: Triple zero! It's um, And and I, I was thinking, like, a Darth Vader comic, I don't know how they're gonna do that, but the, it's, it's set between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, where Darth Vader is actually kind of in trouble because he let the Death Star get blown up, and so the Emperor, he's kind of on the outs, and the Emperor sets him on some kind of crappy missions, and he needs to prove himself again, and he runs into this bounty hunter and her two murder droids, and he sends her on some missions, and it's... It is really good. So if you've ever thought like, oh, Star Wars comic, I don't know about that. And there was obviously the big uh, publicity about the other, uh, the, the the main core Star Wars comic. But give the Darth Vader ongoing series a look. Um, it's from number one. Uh,
4: it's a lot of fun. And yeah, murder droids, they're uh, amazing. It only just concluded, so you're only a few months behind on it. And it is it, it is it is a very, very solid uh two-year run on on the character and i it it is it is one of those comics in the the whole star wars line is so good but it's the one that i tell people if you read this and don't like it i don't know that you're going to like any of marvel's new star wars comics because you don't like good comics um it's so good it's so 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 good so 1 to 25 is the total
0: run of the storyline. Marvel Unlimited trailing behind a little bit is up to 19 now, but there's a new one every month that gets added, so you won't be that far behind. And if you're really into it, you can go buy those uh, digital issues or, or, or uh, physical issues somewhere else if you want to. Marvel would love for you to get so hooked on a comic using Marvel Unlimited that you have to uh, go buy copies and uh, as they're released. That's, their, that's part of their game.
1: Let's do another round. Lisa. Oh, gosh. Um, oh, I'm torn because I have I have four more picks on my list. I really hope we're not doing four more rounds, though, because this is already going. We're not. Off. Thank you. Um, so I think the one I'm going to actually pick is um, a fairly recent series, uh, Secret Avengers, that has been running since... Um, 2014 to the present and for those of you who are like me and like dead tree media they've also got a couple trades out and uh the whole point behind secret avengers is there's a group of people who do the work that needs to be done in the dark and nick fury and agent colson are the ones who uh, corral them and it's got hawkeye black widow jessica drew and um God, I'm you, you know, you think I wouldn't blank on the guy who's a, basically a giant round head and tiny little arms and legs, but M-Modok! I am. MODOK!
2: Um, Charlie Brown.
1: MODOK. Thank you. Thank you. I was blanking on his name. It's very embarrassing. Yes. Yes, they, they keep pulling away world domination for MODOK. It's very sad. He'll never trust Lucy. Um, But Secret Avengers, what I like about it is it um, shows a bunch of people who are pragmatic, but they don't have the kind of focused nastiness that... um tends to permeate the Ultimates universe, uh, which was one of the things I found appealing about the Ultimates universe was it's much more pragmatic in a lot of ways and very realpolitik about well, this is what we do and this is why we do it. But on the other hand, it seemed like a lot of the characters were nasty because they could be or because they're like, well, screw you, I'm, I I have a bow and arrow. What are you going to do about it? Um, whereas in this one, the nastiness is dialed down considerably. The pragmatism is up. Colson gets fleshed out a lot. And I also one of the reasons I'm so taken with this series is I really enjoy how he's been just kind of folded into the Marvel folded back into the Marvel universe like that. He's a character with a really weird and interesting history. Now, when you think about it, um, from, you know, his introduction in the MCU to his crossover to this medium, to the way that, that his continuity is taking off in a completely different direction than what's going on on TV. Anyway, it's, um, a heck, of a lot of fun to read. And, um, I like the art. The art is very pretty, very modern. And of course, there's a Deadpool issue. So everything, everything comes together. Um, there are currently 15 issues right now. So it's, it, again, it's a, it's a night's work to sit down and read them or rather a, a night's entertainment to sit down and read them. And, um, you know, everybody else is, is busy saying, please read this decade's worth of comics. I'm saying, please read, read it. Really, really, you're in change. It's, it's, it's entertaining. It's fun. And I think it'll whet your appetite for, you know, other other books that have different aspects of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm perennially fascinated by all all of the different permutations S.H.I.E.L.D. has, both public and not public, and this sort of fields into the uh, contention that every agency needs a Black Ops team, and I I like this one.
4: It gets silly and ridiculous toward the end of that run. I I love that one. Monty? I was going to pick
2: something respectable, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Why start now? So, so, So if anyone wants to jump on the Met Fraction run on Hawkeye, you are free to do so. I'm going to suggest that the fun thing about Marvel Unlimited is that they haven't put any sort of quality control, things that they might be embarrassed about running. Oh, no.
4: Oh, no. I think you might have gotten one of my secret terrible things. <laughs> That's tricky, because I have
2: a list of five terrible things I'm picking from right now. But what I'm oh, going no. to go with Oh god! is the Mephisto limited series.
1: No! Oh, wow. <laughs> Why? Why? Why, Monty? Why? Uh, Because
2: I think what's great about Marvel Unlimited, like I say, is you can go get the weird little things they did. They also have the Rocket Raccoon Limited series, which is Rocket's origin story. And it is crazy, crazy nuts. It makes no sense. He's from a circus world. (laughs) Uh, You can go find... What? (laughs) It's true. Read
4: it. A circus world. What is the cap? What is the capital? The, the, the one from 1985,
2: oh, oh, the, the, the yeah. four issue mini. Yeah, yep. For, forget Mephisto. My new pick: Rocket Raccoon, the limited Rocket series, Raccoon, 1985,
1: one to four. Oh my gosh! So so it's in there. So it's when amazing. the legislative body meets, do they? Does the doors open and like five thousand clowns pour out and they're all from a different district? Is it? Is it that? Is it that? Is, is there that much of a straight line between the metaphor and the meeting? <laughs>
2: Please, m- yes. m- more than that. Um, it's very hard to explain but everybody's looking for this mm-hmm. book and there's a whole bunch of mutated animals, but they don't know they're mutated animals and there's killer clown bots and it's crazy nuts.
4: The cover of the fourth issue is Rocket Raccoon with a sword in his left hand and a decapitated clown head in his right riding a robot horse. Yeah, it is.
1: <laughs> I feel like we need to make this a meme to, to symbol to signify the end of this year. Like we just have to do it. <laughs> We could do it. I feel I feel very strongly in our powers. Let's let's do it.
2: I'm going to use Ro- Rocket Raccoon as the summation of the various limited series. Like uh, you can also find Longshot one to four, which by the way was Art Adams' first work. <laughs> well, I mean, just to go back to Rocket
0: Raccoon, I mean the, the, that miniseries it, it was is written by Bill Mantlo with Mike Mignola doing yeah. the pencils. I mean, it's not like random people. <laughs> it's serious creators making the rocket raccoon
2: miniseries serious creators making something completely nonsensical (laughs) that is now a cornerstone of the marvel empire yeah and it's super fun uh so my official pick is rocket raccoon okay also yeah go read mephisto mephisto's fun the devil gets he fights the fantastic four x-factor x-men and the avengers Mm. in hell of course all canon all right chip what
3: do you have uh, I've got so much that I'm just gonna have to barrel through when we bring out the dead. But I'm going to pick possibly the best single comic mm. um, ever published by Marvel. No, that's too much. But it is the we best. We already fantastic- talked about
2: Rocket Raccoon number. <laughs> there you go. It's the
3: best Fantastic Four comic ever published by Marvel, and that is Fantastic Four sixty new series, not old. Written by Mark Wade and drawn by Mike Weiringo. It is the first issue of Mark Wade's run, and I cannot tell you that anybody else before or since has nailed the fantastic four and who they are and ought to be as comic book characters. This comic book should have been, um, the pages should have been taken out and they should have been stapled onto the chest of the people responsible for all three of the fantastic four movies that have been, um, that have been released on the big screens. Um, Wade's a fantastic uh, comic book writer. I think he's made best known for um, for his run on the Flash um, in the '90s. But uh, I, I I can't. It, it's twenty two. It's twenty two pages. If I describe it, I think I'm going to be giving away too much about it. But if you want to see an absolutely human portrayal of Mister Fantastic and why a guy would name himself Mister Fantastic. <laughs> Um, if you want to see <laughs> Reed and Sue and Johnny and Ben and Reed and Sue's kids as a family, um, for with all with all the pros and cons, and the thing the thing about this is, it establishes the Fantastic Four not as superheroes but as explorers into the unknown, and it just dives into that. And the comics that succeed it. Um, issues sixty through seventy, and then they went through a na- uh, number change, fit five hundred to five twenty four. It's a spectacular run of Fantastic Four stories, but Fantastic Four sixty is a beautiful, moving, inspiring story about the first family of Marvel comics.
0: That's great. I'll check that out. I always am looking for new Fantastic Four runs. When they've got 600 issues, it's kind of hard to choose. So I will check that out. That's great.
3: Mike Wearingo, uh passed away way too soon. He was a he, I, I'm from Durham, North Carolina. So was he. Um, I saw him every once in a while at the occasional uh, North Carolina comic convention. Um, uh, he has an outsized influence on the comics industry and you're hard-pressed to find any comics artist these days who doesn't point to him as both a good guy and a really, really spectacular artist.
4: Hmm. All right, Moises, what's your last pick? I've broken so many rules. Mm-hmm. I've bent the rules of space-time, uh, but there there is nothing in Marvel Comics history that has bent the Marvel Universe more then a series that they, they don't make anymore and they haven't made in a long time, a little series called What If. Yes. <sighs> yes. The entire catalog of Marvel What If is on Marvel Unlimited. And I you know, I can't just pick one run because every issue is a one-off, one-shot yeah. that is fascinating, nihilistic, terribly <laughs> depressing, <laughs> extremely <laughs> uplifting in some cases. Uh you the know, answer what is Sp- usually everyone dies. Yeah. Yes. What if Spider-Man's clone had lived? You know, the one from the 70s, not the one from the 90s. Um, what if Jane Foster held the power of Thor? Hmm. Huh. Interesting what if there. Uh, the, the, the thing I find fascinating is that the what if series has become something of a springboard for the way that Marvel is choosing to bend their own rules, break their own rules, and do interesting things. And I, I would not forgive myself if I did not choose Marvel what
0: if. I absolutely loved what if. Um, yeah, and the great pick the what if the Avengers had become pawns of Korvac, which is this very strange, very <laughs> specific uh, bit of continuity. And yet it's a, and that's a Mark Gruenwald actually story. Yeah, it is a mind blowing because it not spoiler alert for what if issue number 32. But it ends with not just everybody dying, but the universe being completely destroyed. And then there's a little bit of story after that. It's kind of amazing. Like, it's an amazing, weird
4: story. So I love what if. So much. Yeah. What if? Uh, what if Rick Jones had become the Hulk? What if Doctor Strange became a disciple of Dormammu? Uh, what if the Avengers had fought evil in the nineteen fifties? Um, the the very first one, though. What if Spider Man had joined the Fantastic Four to form the Fantastic Five?
2: There's also a pretty good what uh, Marvel superheroes module for the TSR game called Gates of What If that I remember really enjoying playing through.
0: Ah, uh, what if? So I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up and and I'm going to. So, Monty mentioned the uh the fraction Hawkeye series, which I felt like could have been my first pick. We've talked about it a lot and uh and did an issue did an episode about it. So
1: can I make just a quick recommendation because if you are going to load up the Hawkeye Matt fraction run, um load all of the covers and then scroll through and marvel at how deftly they change out the color schemes from issue number one. All the way up to issue number twenty-two. It is. I didn't realize how craft. Again, this is the limitation of this is the limitation of being on trade paperbacks. Is I didn't realize how carefully and how craftily it was done until like I could uh, until I could follow the visual story from issue one all the way through to issue twenty-two and like just scroll back and forth and appreciate that for a bit before you even get into the rest of it. I just wanted to, I just wanted to get that if you out can't
0: there. yeah and if you if you haven't read it for God's sake go and do that but I'm going to do the alt the alternate pick here which is uh, Matt Fraction and, uh, and some of his uh, collaborators on Hawkeye worked with Ed Brubaker and did a run of Immortal Iron Fist from 2006 issues 1 through 16 that is a really fun story and I never really cared at all about Iron Fist but there's a lot of very interesting things in it and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones make some appearances and it's got a really interesting uh, story there's a dragon it's fun and uh, so if you if you read Hawkeye because you should because everybody should read that and you're like where do I go next maybe try Immortal Iron Fist 1 to 16 from 2006
4: it rehabilitates a lot of aspects of the character that have been not great for decades (laughs) yeah exactly right No, and and I had that moment too of like really and then I read it and I was like
0: oh actually yeah (laughs) it's like good good job everybody this is really good Uh, yeah yeah so I I recommend uh, Immortal Iron Fist a lot. All right, it is time now for us to just list off all the many, many things that we wish we could have talked about but ran out of time to talk about. Bring out your dead. Lisa, what do you have left on your list that you didn't get to uh, recommend?
1: Okay, the two quick hits I'm going to do. Number one is a J. Michael Straczynski series from 2007 to 2008 called The Twelve, which Mm -hmm. is his going back to the tropes. Yeah, it's his going back to the tropes of the Golden Age. Um, It feels like a more J... it, It... I, the reason I, I began surfing through it was I looked at the covers and was like, "Oh, this has kind of a watchman feel to it, in the sense that it's somebody who's taking the tropes of comics, the history of comics, and playing with it a little bit. And I am a sucker for JMS's world building. Um, I will complain until the, I will complain until my last breath about the way ri- Rising Stars ended. Like, yep. ooh, I could do a podcast on that. But I always get sucked into how deftly he builds worlds and how quickly he he builds out three-dimensional characters and establishes relationships between characters just by dialogue. And so if you're somebody who really likes GMS, this is a fun read. And I really I enjoy the art and I enjoy where it's going. And the covers are, are separate are separate where again, you just there's a lot of pleasure to be had in scrolling through and taking a look at the story that the covers is telling. Um, the other series I was going to recommend, or rather series run, I really loved Peter David's work on X-Factor, and I was going to urge everybody to read X-Factor probably through, I want to say, about issue number 40, um, maybe issue 42. Um, Issue 39, however, is like one of the most horrifying things I've ever read in my life. (laughs) <laughs> if you are a new parent, never read this issue. But Peter David did such a great job with characters who are normally, ba- who are normally just, you know, thrown into the background of scenes when sounds like, we need a lot of X-Men to make it look like they're fighting. And it focuses on Jamie Madrix launching a, pri- a, a, a private investigation service. He's got, um, Monet St. Clair, no, Monet St. as his, um, as his second in command. He's got Siren, who is, um, the daughter of Banshee. Um, there's Rain Sinclair from the new X-Men. Um, and, uh, they basically like go around solving, solving crimes for people. And complicating this is Layla Miller, who knows things. And, um, Madrix has clones all over the country that he sent out to go get education and information and experiences so he can become a more, more well-rounded person. And, um, hunting down and reabsorbing these clones takes some time too. So anyway, it's, it's, it's funny. It's thoughtful. It's a little bit dark. Um, and, one of the things I really love about it is they've got Glenn, they've got um, Glenn Fabry doing a bunch of the covers as well. And I love his covers. So it's just been a real pleasure to go back, visit that series, visit a bunch of covers and go, Oh, this is how it looks. So those are the two that, that I would enjoy. And again, not a huge time commitment, just kind of fun, but for for the love of God, stop somewhere in the forties, like X factor ran for like 262 issues, but After the first few years, you're just like, oh, really? Really? This is what's going on? So, you know. All right. Stop in the 40s and you're good. Stop in the 40s. Mm -hmm. That's it.
0: Uh, Monty,
2: what did you uh, not pick that you'd like to mention? Uh, I got four things really quick. Mm -hmm. Uh, I normally find the Hulk boring because I just want him to be punching things more often. So go straight to The Incredible Hulk number 92, which is where planet Hulk begins. The Hulk has been shoved off the Earth because everybody's sick of dealing with him. He lands on another planet and punches everybody through to issue 105, then giant size Hulk number one, then World War Hulk, which is when he comes back to Earth. And he's very, very angry at everybody who threw him off onto another planet. That's uh, Incredible Hulk number 92 through 105, and then World War Hulk, and it's so much Hulk punching. It, It is the best Hulking i've ever seen i own the uh
0: planet hulk hardcover and i love yeah. it it's a great it's a great story because he is literally like what if the hulk went to an alien planet and had to uh survive there and it's like yeah, yeah. you
2: know what he's gonna do he's gonna punch <laughs> a lot of people that's what's gonna happen let's make the hulk a gladiator well okay, okay. <laughs> and they,
4: the, the the implications of it have, have reverberated through marvel comics ever since and it was a way to take him off the board for civil war
2: yeah yeah um, the limited series Spider-Man and the X-Men, that's a six-issue limited series written by Elliot Kalin of the Flophouse. It's uh, super funny. That was on my it list, has, too. It has the panel <laughs> you may have seen floating around the internet where he says something to the effect of, you have this power. You could be curing people of cancer. And a dinosaur says, I don't want to cure people of cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs, mm-hmm. which is the such a pithy way to dinosaurs. describe a villain's mindset. I want to turn people
4: into dinosaurs. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I, because of that run, I now hear Elliot Kalin's voice in my head when I read Peter Parker <laughs> yeah. as Spider-Man. That sounds great. That right. is yeah. the voice of Peter Parker to me. Um,
2: I... Think Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos is super fun. It starts uh, back in 1963 when Sergeant Fury, Sergeant Nick Fury, is six foot two of steel, muscled, iron nerved fighting man, mm-hmm. and it's just uh, good Jack Kirby ish fun. And finally, I think a very important limited series for what uh, characters would end up controlling the Marvel Universe. 1984, Kitty Pride and Wolverine. <sighs> yes i I think that's
1: love that series
2: that's uh where they go to japan you see kitty pride be a little tougher you see wolverine start to get a sensitive side that and the wolverine limited series are i think why wolverine has like 10 million titles in marvel unlimited yeah and you can see it beginning there and it's really great okay chip what do you have left
3: Okay, I've got a lot, but I'll make them fast. Um, Avengers, around issues 273 to 277, this is around the time that Roger Stern and John Buscema and Tom Palmer did the Masters of Evil storyline, where uh, where i like the fourth group of supervillains called the Masters of Evil uh, <laughs> uh, invaded the uh, Avengers mansion, uh, beat the hell out of Jarvis, uh, uh, trashed... Uh, trashed all of uh Steve Rogers's prized mementos of his childhood, things like that. Um um it was uh it was pretty good stuff there. Uh Strike Force Morituri was a series Ooh, written yeah. by Peter Gillis, uh, not part of the Marvel Universe. Future, uh, people get turned into superheroes to try to defend uh, Earth uh, from an alien invasion that is not going well for the humans. The catch is the process of turning the heroes in – turning them into superheroes is inevitably fatal within a year. Um The series ran for a long time, but I think issues 1 through 20, which were written by Peter Gillis, are the good ones. Only the first three were available on Marvel Unlimited, but uh, worth worth checking out those three. Um, The Thing, written by Dan Slott before he became Amazing Spider-Man Dan Slott. The Thing used to be Marvel's mascot. He used to be really, really big in the 1970s, and Dan Slott writes this miniseries as if The Thing had always been the most important character in Marvel, and it's just tons of fun. JMS's run on Spider-Man started better than it finished Issues yep. thirty through—that's <laughs> yep. the most generous thing I have ever heard said yeah. about that run. Yeah, uh, so I, so I recommend, I recommend the issues that John Romita drew. Um, so that's from where JMS started with issue thirty through fifty-eight. Then another numbering change: issues five hundred through five hundred eight. <laughs> I think you get solid quality in those runs. Um, it was. It is my favorite take at Spider-Man, and it's just a little disappointing that it didn't uh, finish quite so well. Yeah, uh, Wolverine, both runs of the series by Paul Cornell, 1 through 13 and 1 through 12, made me care about the character again in a way that I hadn't cared about the character since way back in the Marvel Comics Presents days and the first few issues of his solo title that were written by Chris Claremont and had him doing the Terry and the Pirates thing in Madripoor. I actually liked that. And finally, Strange, 2004 uh, miniseries Marvel nights uh, co-written by JMS and Sarah, quote, Sam, close quote, Barnes. Uh, it's a little weird because it sort of turns uh, Doctor Strange into a kind of a Matrix kind of thing, but it, it's a it's a f- it's a fresh uh, kind of modern reimagined. You might call it Ultimate Doctor Strange. Only it wasn't Ultimate Universe, but it's a lot of fun.
0: Okay, Moises, what's on your list? What's left? I've got uh,
4: about 7 billion things. Yeah, I know. Um, All other Marvel comics. (laughs) All of them, because it is truly unlimited. Uh, The longer run type stuff, Ed Brubaker's uh, run on Captain America, much of it drawn by Steve Epting, who he's been doing a bunch of creator-owned stuff with, including the Winter Soldier arc, which is... You know, you got Mark Ruinwald's Captain America, and that's great, and I love it. Roger Stern's got some cool stuff, too. Edward Baker, amazing, amazing run on Captain America. You know, what other stories would he have to write after all that stuff? Um, a huge favorite of mine that I keep telling myself I'm going to buy the omnibus hardcover of is uh, the X-Statics run by Peter Milligan and Mike Allred, uh, which started oh. out in X-Force issue 116 and then ran into a rebranding of the title into X-Statics, which is truly one of the most bizarre, crazy and wonderful and delightful and fun uh, superhero long runs out there. Um, also on the long run side of things, all of Runaways is on there. Yeah, so, uh, it's on, you on know, my list. Uh, so, yeah. It's been discussed here mm-hmm. on the show. Um, on the shorter run side of things, Uh, the, uh, the, the estimable gentleman to my podcast left um, mentioned the thing miniseries by Dan Slott. I would bring up Dan Slott's run on She-Hulk from 2004, which, uh, went through one volume and then started over at a new number one issue. This is something we've discussed on this episode already. It happens. It happens. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Mm -hmm. comics. Uh, very fun, notable for the, uh, the moment in the courtroom where Spider-Man is asked, Spider-Man, why, why is it that you think that J. Jonah Jameson really just has it in for you? Spider-Man says, "Well, you know, I think it's uh, it's because I'm black." And J. Jonah Jameson just goes, but I mean, I did some of my best friends or and uh, 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 I don't know, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. His only friend uh, is black." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's it's one of those really perfect high concept pitches is, "Okay, She-Hulk is Ally McBeal, but she hulks out." So there you go. Um, on the, on the shorter run side of things, a criminally underread, mini minis, uh, unintended miniseries should have been an ongoing, uh, fearless defenders written by Colin Bond, drawn by Will Sliney, uh, which is a defender series with an all female cast. And at one point, all of those, uh, women's boyfriends show up and show up to, uh, prove just how useless they are. Um, Osborn, miniseries uh, co-written by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Warren Ellis with art by Emma Rios, Uh, one of my favorite bad guy uh, miniseries out there. Uh, Also on the bad guy side of things, uh, Magneto, written by Colin Bunn and drawn by Gabriel Walta, very, very recent, actually, Um, and uh, and a book that I was immediately hooked from the word go. Um, A couple of Doctor Strange miniseries, uh, Doctor Strange the Oath, which when people ask, is there a quick way into Doctor Strange in the comics? I say, yeah, start with that. Start with The Oath, written by Brian K. Vaughn, with art by Marcos Martin, uh, who went on to do a really great series called The Private Eye, which I urge people to seek out, even though it's not on Marvel Unlimited, has nothing to do with Marvel, but it's just so good. Um, and the other the other Doctor Strange, uh, uh, well, it, it was an original graphic novel, uh with art by Mark Mignola, uh, Mike Mignola, God, it's, it's so late and I'm, I'm so, uh, tied in in knots by Marvel comics that I'm, I'm messing up my words is, uh, Dr. Strange, Dr. Doom, Triumph and Torment, uh, which puts these two characters who have magic in common together, uh, for the first time and, uh, resolves in an interesting way. Uh, leave it at that. Um, the, uh, the, the, the other, oh, this creator's whole, uh, body of work, uh, that, um, that I would have mentioned would have been Steve Gerber, lots of Howard the Duck stuff, Omega the Unknown, if anybody knows what that is. Uh you know, there's well, there's all not. it's right in the yeah, name. Yeah, <laughs> there you go, see? And that's why it only lasted 10 issues. Uh lots of really great work uh by Steve Gerber as a writer out there. Um the Vision series by uh, Tom King and Gabriel Walta, the artist from Magneto. Six issues of that is on Unlimited now, and it is so good. Oh, yeah. if it, I know many people who have just dropped all of their Marvel books except for this one, uh, which is going to go to 12 issues. And then it's done because now Tom King is exclusive to DC um, because I guess they cut the bigger check. Um, and then I, I had three completely ridiculous ones. Uh, one of them being a one-shot that came to Marvel with the Star Wars acquisition, and that being Sergio Aragona's Stomp Star Wars, which is so good because it's if you know Gru, if you know Sergio Aragona's, it is everything Sergio Aragona's and everything the title says. Um, and uh, well, it's actually a, a pair of things. There is lockjaw and the pet Avengers and tales of the pet Avengers uh, yes there there are uh, there is a super pet team book and at least there has been twice uh, nobody knows that it exists and it's one of those weird outliers and the most ridiculous thing uh, the models Inc miniseries <laughs> written by Paul Tobin with art by Jorge Molina which was oh. which was a way to I guess use models Inc the license and and bring back classic Marvel character, Millie the Model. Millie the Model. Millie the Model. It's only four mm-hmm. issues long, and it's actually really well written. And every cover looks like the cover of a magazine. Look at that. Amazing. How on brand could that be? Um, and uh, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sad that there were a number of things that I was like, oh, I'll just put this on my list, and surely that's on Marvel Unlimited. But no, The Crew by Christopher Priest, not on Unlimited. Slingers. Uh, which was a kid team book that spun out of Spider-Man having to create four other identities uh, in the 90s. That's not on there. Uh, Superior Foes of Spider-Man, also not on there. Oh. Um, but even even without those, there's all this ridiculous crap that I've been spewing about and, well, and much, much, much I will,
0: more. I will say, it, back to my earlier point about them sort of progressing, and although it's not great, it's better than it was. I am impressed that every week there are another 30 or 50... Uh, issues, old issues that get dumped on Marvel Unlimited. In addition to whatever is new, and it's whatever it has their attention that month, right? Like, hey, the new uh, Luke Cage show is on. Here's all the Luke Cage issues we could scan in. That sort of thing happens, but they do keep adding, so there's always hope
4: that some America's other America's Next Top Model is back. So here's Model Z. Here's Model series.
0: So here's my list of things <laughs> that I didn't uh, that I didn't pick. Uh, Ms. Marvel from 2014. Hawkeye, as we mentioned. Ultimate Comics Spider-Man, that's the Miles Morales run from 2011, issues one through 28. Uh, Jonathan Hickman's New Avengers and Avengers combo, New Avengers 1 to 33 and Avengers 1 to 44. This is the lead into the Secret Wars. It's cosmic. There's parallel universes and that people have to destroy and secret machinations of the Illuminati. And it's pretty good. It's pretty good, especially red. Uh, I don't think I would have liked it if I had had to read it over three years, but I didn't have to. So it was pretty great reading it in a short amount of time. Uh, The great classic 1994 Marvel's miniseries is available on Marvel Unlimited. It's beautiful. You should look at it if you haven't seen that one. I like all new X-Men. 1 through 15 then they do an event called Battle of the Atom and sort of it's not as good anymore but this is the what if the original X-Men were uh, brought to the present via time travel and had to deal with what their uh,
1: I love that run. What their yeah. adult
0: selves have grown up to be and what's funny about it is they stay Like they're now they're in the present and we get the old X-Men in the present along with their future counterparts. It's kind of cool. Uh, it's a good idea. Good, good job. Comic books. That's the kind of stuff you should be doing is weird, weird stuff like that. Um, Exiles, I recommended to somebody just the other day. Exiles, there are a hundred issues of it, and they're all on Marvel Unlimited. It's the multiverse X-Men title, and it's a shifting group of mutants from various parallel universes who hop from parallel to parallel, solving crimes and righting wrongs. And there's a little backstory about why they're doing it that's pretty interesting as it unfolds, too. So I like that one a lot. Um, uh, Greg Pak's 13-issue run Extreme X-Men is very similar. Uh, it's another parallel universe X-Men story like Exiles. I like that one a lot. Good use of Dazzler in that one, by the way. I have to mention good use of Dazzler. She's kind of a burned out rock uh, rock star in that one and wears cowboy boots. And I like that. That's a good Dazzler. Um, uh, Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men 1 through 24. That's a good run. And that's all on Marvel Unlimited. Max Bemis's X-Men Worst X-Man Ever. All five issues are now available on Marvel's Unlimited. I recommended that in a previous show. And... You know, go back to the stuff that you love, Uncanny X-Men, issues like 110, 108, through like, I don't know, 170-ish, somewhere in there. That's just a great run. That's the, got the John Byrne issues and the Paul Smith issues, and, and then it kind of gets to John Romita Jr., and the they're, they're good, there are a lot of stories about Forge, and then it's a lot less interesting, and you can stop at any point then, if you like. That's my oh, list. Forge. <laughs> Forge.
4: <laughs> I'm a little bit let down that we did that we behaved ourselves so well and we didn't plan more really off the wall crazy stuff. I think we got a lot of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. I just I want mm-hmm. more of the
2: crazy stuff. All right. Giant Size Little Marvel AVS. Yes! That's uh, Scotty Young's super adorable Baby X-Men versus Baby Avengers. Oh. It's so good.
3: The uh Power Pack uh series by various uh by various writers I think, but Power Pack and Team-Ups uh, the artist was Guri Hiru. Um these are the new Power Pack series that are just outside of Marvel continuity. They're just anime-like. They're delightful.
4: Mentioning Power Pack, I wish that that Louise Simonson's original run of Power Pack were all on there, but there's this weird assortment of like I don't know, 10 or 12 issues part starting part of the way into the run, which is strange. And who knows, maybe it's a licensing issue. I, I don't remember if like ROM shows up for a panel to go, Hey everybody, I'm ROM. See you later. <laughs> Beep boop. Probably. <laughs> I'm a space knight. Gotta go. All right. Well,
0: I think, uh, uh- we will uh, look in the show notes. I'll have a list of all of this stuff in there and you can, uh, you can add it to your, your, your library or wish list or whatever the thing is that you do in Marvel unlimited. But I hope now that if you are a Marvel unlimited subscriber, or if you want to give it a try, we've just given you a whole lot of stuff to read. How about that? A whole lot of stuff. Just, you know, call in sick from work and sign up for a month and then just read like a thousand comics and then uh, collapse. Maybe. Something like that. Or be responsible. Whatever. I'd like to thank my guests for helping me build this uh, pretty cool uh, reading list. Lisa Schmeiser, thank you for being here.
1: You're welcome. It's has been fun.
0: Monty Ashley, thanks
3: a lot.
2: I have so many comics I need to read now.
1: I know. Thanks a lot.
3: Yeah. I know, thanks, right? everybody. Chip Sutter, thank you. It's been a pleasure being a part of this Mary Marvel Marching Society.
4: Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Moises Chuyan Excelsior. Does this mean that we're going to get an Incomparable Avengers spinoff book soon? Probably. I mean, whatever. Or Incomparable X-Men. Just to-, I, I should, I, I, to throw a very quick plug in, I, I have a recent episode of Giant Size that's all about Dan Slott that just came out. I got one coming out about Greg Pak and a bunch of other weird, crazy stuff coming in the next few weeks. Yeah, go to
0: ESN.FM for Moises' uh, entire podcast network, including uh, Giant Size. Plug. Do it. If you care about comics, you should listen to China. Yes. All right. And uh, I have been your host, Jason Snell. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this edition of The Incomparable. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.